0: So, um, I have a little apprehension of what I needed to talk to you about tonight because part of it is about this thing called money that everybody has and everybody's running after but nobody wants to talk about it even less have somebody else to talk about your money. Um, But um, there's no ideal time to do it. They say there's no time like the present. And so it's not just about that but I I need to say some things (coughs) about some things on that. Tonight. Now, I'm going to talk about something called first fruits in a little while. Um, And I'll put a subtitle to, to the message Giving Forward or Giving For. Because sometimes we can be caught in the trap of giving for a need that we have been presented with but the Bible never promotes that way of giving, the Bible always promotes giving forward, which means that you give towards what is going to happen, not to support what is happening or has happened, and that's the whole message of Jesus on the cross, God giving forward for what would happen, rather than waiting to see what he should give at the end, and we'll talk a little more about that. Now, um, a guy who I, I respect very, very greatly, and many things he said have influenced my life, was a guy called Paul Scanlon, who, uh, for many years, (laughs) led what is now Life Church in Bradford. And um, uh, Paul was speaking one day, and he talked about an experience of when they were children, uh, on their way to school. And uh, Paul was raised in in one of the um, uh, low-income council estates in Bradford. And uh, he and his friend, when they walked to school, used to walk through a very upmarket, middle-class area with very nice houses. And uh, Paul used to say to his friend, how much do you think it would cost to live there? How much do you think it would cost to live here? Realizing at that young age that where you choose to live carries with it a cost. And that if you want to live there, and experience what living in that place means, you have to be willing to understand the cost that is associated with living there. Now that is a great powerful lesson for us as a house because we have chosen to live in a certain place in the context of serving the city, serving the world, and foremost serving God, and it costs a certain amount to live there. I'm very, very grateful for the excellence with which this house performs its duties and I've told you many times we punch way above our weight in every arena of giving. We've got too few people to do all the things that we need to do, but we do what we need to do with too few people, excellently and beautifully and wonderfully. And it's always clean and it's always warm and we've always got great music and we've always got a welcome That all costs something, not just monetarily, but in terms of time and effort and attitude and spirit and commitment. So if we wanna keep living in this place, you have to think what's it gonna cost us. Now, who knows what that is on the picture? An icebreaker. Now, one of the interesting things about the journey of my own life uh, when we talk about Jesus commands my destiny, I am not puppet on the string, you know, Jesus did this and Jesus took me there. And, uh, but I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus has commanded my destiny. I could keep you here all night telling you the stories of my destiny, my direction in life has been so affected by a divine involvement that I am something I could have never been, in a place that I could have never reached, doing what I never had the ability to do. All because of that involvement. And one of the things that's happened along the years is something that we call prophecy. Now, if you're not a Christian, it's kind of the Christian version of horoscope (laughs) and fortune-telling, which some of you won't like, but I've got to explain it some way, haven't I? It's, if, if you're kind of not being wired in Christian thinking, you think, prophecy, prophecy, what's that? Well, uh, I actually think it's true, and it's better than, but, you know. Um, and one of those things that's happened is, is people have said that, that, that your calling, your, your reason for being is to be an icebreaker. Now, not in the sense of a, you know, icebreaker. Hi, Joel, how are you? Nice to meet you. I haven't met you. But not one of those kind of icebreakers. But I mean, an icebreaker who breaks paths where paths have not been broken, right? And we've also had that same uh, context transferred and related onto us as a church, as a people, that we are an icebreaking church. And let me tell you, we are. That's why, baby, it's cold outside. That's why you get a frosty response to some of the things that we're trying to do because we are breaking Ice. And so I wanted to say a few things about this. Listen to me very carefully. Icebreakers are noisy and expensive to run. They do not carry passengers and they are unstable in open sea. Their sole job is to make a path for others to follow. You may call that undesirable, I call it purpose. I call that doing something from which others are the primary beneficiary. I call that pioneering. I call that boldness. They sometimes get stuck, but they carry on doing what they were designed to do, and this is the Rock of York and all who sail in her. God bless the Rock of York. So I want to talk to you about keeping the icebreaker on the go and at sea in this noble purpose to which God has called us that we are not a passenger liner, we are an icebreaker and we make no apologies for that process but invite you to be part of the crew. And so I want to use a real prosperity gospel scripture to you tonight. It's in the book of Habakkuk. Who calls the kid Habakkuk? Well, his mother called him Habakkuk and he wrote a book in the Bible. Um, He goes under the distinction of being one of the minor prophets. I hate all that. Major prophets and minor prophets. You're a prophet, but just a minor one. So this guy Habakkuk wrote these words. Listen to this great, prosperity message though the fig tree does not blossom no fruit be on the vines though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food though the flock may be cut off from the fold so having a cheerful day isn't he? and there be no herd in the stalls yet will I rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation because in that situation I have learned that the Lord God is my strength. Not money, not givers, not jobs, not qualifications, not family. The Lord God is my strength. And then he says, He will make my feet like deer's feet. If you've ever watched the mountain goats, the the, the deer this are talking about, they, they run on the mountainside as if it were flat ground, they get a grip where no grip should be available, and they live their lives in a precarious place where without that ability they would slip and they would fall, but people who rejoice in the time of lack, people who rejoice when there is nothing, people who rejoice when it seems that what you're doing is failing and the church is getting smaller, and all that kind of stuff that you get challenged with, He says, people who rejoice in that, I will make your feet so that in the precarious place, they don't slip. Right? And I'll make you walk on the high hills. Now, apparently, that's to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. So, I apologize that we didn't do it with my stringed instruments. But there you go. I wanted to start there for this reason. If you engage this position in a time of lack... I propose to you that there is a greater probability that you will be faithful in the time of plenty. And, and I'm interested in our faithfulness in the time of plenty. Far too often, I think there is a manipulative process engaged when finance is taught in church. I really seriously do, and I'll do my best to avoid any hint of that, <coughs> because I don't like it, I don't agree with it, it drives me nuts watching it on so-called Christian TV, if you send a thousand dollar seed in 60 days, blah, 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 listen, the only person who's going to get rich in 60 days is the person you sent the thousand dollar seed to, now some of you may, because there's something called the law of averages, so it's like me saying, the Lord's showed me that there's somebody in here with a headache, that's not very profound, That's a pretty good stab in the dark that somebody has probably got a headache. And if you say nobody with a headache, I'll say somebody who knows somebody who's had a headache this week. God's shown me there is somebody who knows somebody. I'm just trying to show you that within the genuine, there is a lot of manipulative foolishness. And I will not stand for it here. And we will not use that as a means to manipulate you or to try and cause you to do something that you need to think a lot deeper about. Or maybe even sometimes shouldn't do. And so, for those of you may be new, um, the people in here will tell you I rarely, if ever, talk on this subject. Okay, but it is important for the reasons I've talked about. Now, I will avoid some scriptures that have fixed historic interpretations to some of you. There are, however, three realities that I believe need to be addressed. Which are A, the church needs finance to function. I'll let that sink in because it just is a reality to be addressed. B, the Bible does not avoid the need to talk about money, but never seeks to trick or manipulate money out of us. C, that giving opens up channels, that withholding keeps closed. Some of you have still not learned what a wise old man called Solomon said when he said, there is a withholding that leads to poverty. Or in other words, if you hang on, you will lose. The whole principle of heaven is if you let go, you gain, okay? Now, the nation of Israel, under God, held three non-negotiable truths to be self-evident, just like the American Constitution. And these were the three things. A, the model of tithing, which was giving a tenth of all that you had for the purposes of God to be extended. Now, let me say a couple of things about that. I do not believe that tithing is a requirement in what we know as the new covenant in Jesus. But I believe it's a good model. I believe it's a good model to encourage us as to what might be our responsibility if we want to live here. If we want the icebreaker to stay afloat. And so I've had a lifelong commitment from the very first time I received pocket money which I am old enough to have received two shillings pocket money, which you think, what's a shilling? Uh, Two shillings was about 10p, right? And believe me, 10p then was a little more than 10p now. My first thing that I was taught by my parents is out of that two shillings, you put a tenth away. Now, when there's 12 pennies to a shilling, that got really difficult with the math. It's much easier now. I much prefer the, the 10p, so I from being the first time I ever got any pocket money would put 1p away from the 10p, that was God's, that belonged to God, it didn't belong to me, that belonged to God Now I could tell you story after story of how God has amazingly met our needs, we've had times when we were poor and we've had times when we were blessed but through it all we're still here and God has blessed us and helped us. And sometimes the fig tree didn't blossom and there was no fruit on the vine, but we rejoiced in the Lord and he became our strength. I also believe it's an extremely fair system because this Bible system meant that whether you were rich or poor, everybody was committed to the same thing. Because a tenth of a million pounds is no more... In, in, in percentage than a tenth of a hundred pounds, or 10 pounds, or 50 pounds. So God, in his goodness, said, this is how we're gonna help this thing to move forward, and I would like you to consider giving a tenth of what you have, right, not about amount, in order that there might be what the Bible calls meat, or food, or so we can live here, right? The other non-negotiable truth that was self-evident was the importance of offerings. I have believed all my life in offerings above the tithe. So not just just myself. And again, I'm not putting any pressure on you. I'm telling you how I have lived and we've done okay. Um, Offerings were above the tithe. That was something we gave over and above in order to be a blessing, to be a help, to assist, to provide, to work, to, to enable, to equip... And we did that on the principle that that, uh, if you give, you will receive. And Jesus said, with the measure you give is the measure it will be given back to you. So there are principles here that we can wrestle with that were, to the nation of Israel, self-evident, something they held to that I don't believe there is a legal requirement for us to do any of these things. But I love God. I love people. And I love this house. But I know what it costs to live here. So I do it out of love, not out of law. And continue to believe God that even if the fig tree doesn't blossom, if I rejoice in the Lord, He in the precarious place will help me to walk through till I get past the mountain into the high place of, of His blessing. But then to see there is another third thing that was a non-negotiable truth and this is the importance of who should get the first and the best. This is probably to me the more important of all three of these. Who should get the first and the best. Now, one of the issues that we have to resolve for some of you because I was wanting to sing tonight Chris had it down that was running through my head. I worship you almighty God There is none like you. But for some of you in here tonight, you can't honestly say, there is none like you. Your experience of God is still defaulting to something that doesn't allow you to say, there is none like you. So because of that, God doesn't get the first and the best, he gets what's left over. So coming back to how we have organised our giving, and again I'm not putting pressure on you, I'm just telling you how we have done, God gets the first and God gets the best. Not after we've paid this and done that and gone here and gone out there and fixed this and done that where we'll see what's left and kind of we'll chuck a little bit God's way. Isn't it funny that we don't want God to act that way towards us? We want God in our time of distress to give us the first and the best, to give us his attention, to step up into the gap for us. Well, I suggest the love relationship says that we give him the first and the best. So for me, the greatest principle in this is not tenth, it's not offerings. It's about saying, God, I want you to have the first and the best of my life. That doesn't just mean money, right? It's my heart, it's my attention, it's my focus to give God the first and the best. I was always taught that if you give God the tenth, the nine-tenths will go further than the ten-tenths. My experience is that's probably true, but in all honesty, I've never sat down and worked it out and worried about it. Because that's never the reason why I was given. I was never given so that the nine-tenths would go further than the ten-tenths. I was just, I love God and I wanted to give God the first and the best. And if it worked out, it worked out. And if it didn't, it didn't. But that wasn't my fault. I trusted him enough to know if I give you the first and the best, in the end, it will go well with me. The first and the best. So let me say two two other things here that... um, because giving is such a funny subject, and this works for all of our life, it works for everything other than money. Um, first of all, in ministry, most of the people who say, you know, tithing's not necessary, tithing's not important, which I don't think it is important in the sense of law, but I think it's important in the sense of what it costs Olivia, um, most of those people are never saying, that there's no law that we have to tithe because they're saying, I think it's ridiculous that we're only supposed to give 10%. I want to give 50% but this stupid law is restricting me. So there should not be a law of tithing. I've never heard anybody against tithing because they wanted to give more. It's the giveaway that you want to give less and do less and be less which is why I don't believe we have to tithe. But it's the reason I do, because I'm saying, God, this is a great deal, and I like it, and you help me. I'm going to do my best to live in this. Why? Because I'm not looking to get out from under my share of the responsibility to live here, to live in the kingdom, to be a blessing to the kingdom. The other thing I wanted to say is that... um, we get caught up in our humanity and saying, okay, giving's fine, but what about the question of who deserves what, right? You know, it's the whole thing that every organization has. I'd like to give, but I don't want any of it to go for wages or heating or, you know, coffee pods or, uh, you know, I just want it to go to the, well, there would be no purpose, without the staff, and the officers, and the workers, and the coffee pods, and the coffee machines, and the heat, and the message, there would be nothing. Which is why, when God instituted the system, he said, look, let's just bring it all in, and let's trust that when it comes in, it will be used, but you don't have to be responsible for that. I'll look at somebody else and look over their shoulder for their responsibility. All I'm asking of you, is that out of love, you do what you know in your heart to do and give to me. Put me first, first and the best. So before you make judgments by the criteria of who deserves what, stop and think of how that might pan out for you if God engaged the same process of thought in his dealings with you. I'll tell you one of the reasons I want to leave an inheritance for my children. Well, there are two reasons. One, because the Bible says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, so we leave two generations worth. But the other reason is, is because I think the way God has dealt with me in the context of his resources has been generous and kind. He's overlooked my faults. He's never said, the struggle will do you good, lad. He said, yeah, I want to discipline you, I want to give you lessons, but I want to pour. It says, as he has given us his son, how much more will he not also with him freely give us all things? And so the question of administrating our own giving has to be this very question. How might this pan out for me if God engaged the same process of thought in his dealings with me? I propose God has been very kind and very generous and very gracious and so I intend to be the same. Now, we have operated that way as a church. In our giving outwards, in our blessing of people, we have not been skinflints to say, how little can we get away with for this? We said, how can we show the goodness of God and the kindness of God and the blessing of God on people's lives? So very rarely in scripture was giving related to a project. There are odd times like when the temple was being built and, 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 and uh, uh, David first and then Solomon said, we want you to bring stuff for the building of the temple. But if you look at the whole of scripture, very rarely is giving related to a project. Its main focus was giving to a purpose, not a project. Now, here's how our mentality has gone as we have become more prosperous and more selfish. Our thinking has gone, I don't want to just give, but I will give to a project. Well, you can do that and I'd love you to do that, okay? I'm a great project. the essence of scripture was always giving to a purpose, we believe in the purpose that is being pushed out in the gospel, therefore with all its necessities and needs we want to empower that to be able to do what it's supposed to do, so we are giving to a purpose, I don't ever want to have to come to you and say, okay the only way we can get you to give is here's the specific issue, here's the specific need, here's what we're specifically going to do, because then you are giving to the project but you're not giving to the purpose but what our hearts are caught with is a purpose God so loved the world that he gave it was not a project it was a purpose that is still ongoing and God still gives to the purpose you are the purpose now do I believe there's a correlation between giving and being resourced the answer I would have to say to that is yes But to balance that, I would also have to say that the success of Colombian drug barons dismisses the notion that all abundance is the result of the blessing of God. And that therefore not living in abundance is somehow an expression of your lack of faith or you're missing the purposes of God. Because if being successful is how we measure the purposes of God materially, then there are drug barons who are much more successful than Christians in business or, or in high-flying positions. Let me shock you with something. Skills and luck mostly determine what we get. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) Skills and luck mostly determine what we get in life. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word luck because it is too spiritual to use the word luck in its translation. So it uses this word, time and chance happen to all. Chance is a nice way of saying, hope you get lucky. And so we must never confuse our skills or the chance that happens in our life to determine that somehow we are more successful before God than someone else. No, you're just more skilled and you've had a little more luck. Some people are down on their luck and some people don't have a lot of skills, but God still blesses and keeps and loves and honors and he's not saying, oh, because you can't make it on your own, I won't help you. He says, I'm here, I'm with you. I'll stand with you always. So we have to be really careful about what our measure is for success. Skills and luck mostly determine what we get, but faith and faithfulness determine what we give. Skills and luck determine what you get, but faith and faithfulness determine what you give. Giving is more connected to faith and faithfulness than it is to skill and luck. And in turn, that does have an influence, I believe, on what we get, but I just don't want us to get this out of balance thinking that, oh, you know, I, I, I'm struggled because I don't believe God or because I'm not giving right or whatever. You know, and that's why, again, I hate these programs. If you will give a $1,000 seed, you know, uh, you'll be out of debt. It's like, I'd like to be able to say to you tonight, if you'll give me a $1,000 seed, you will be out of debt in 60 days. Well, guess where I'll be in 60 days? The Bahamas. On the beach, looking for another crowd as gullible as you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think it honors God. Now, it can be true, but mostly, mostly that kind of approach is manipulative and destructive, and I don't like it, and you're not going to get it from us. And you'll see why when I finish tonight. So, let, let's talk just for a moment about the idea of disproportionate giving but not from the criteria of money initially, because I want to teach you something of how we govern the gift of God in our life or the call of God upon our life. How many of you would agree that the extent of preaching in this house is disproportionate in the context of me versus you? I do a lot more preaching than you do. But that's not a problem, because I'm supposed to. Because some of you would about die on the seat if I said to you, right, you're coming up here to preach, Amanda, you're coming up here to preach. Off you go, there you go, here's a Bible, have Bible will travel, off you go. You would freaking die, why? It's disproportionate because it's my gift and therefore my gift makes my my investment disproportionate. So let's look at another thing. How many of you think Danny plays the keyboard too much in too many meetings? Other than Danny and Amy. (laughs) So who would like the responsibility of that? So would you agree with me that that Danny's gift into this house in music is disproportionate to the rest of us? Or Joel with the singing, or Chris with the singing. And so we could go on in the different areas that there is disproportionate because there are gifts and callings that we are responding to. Now likewise, in the issue of money, it shouldn't be that there is a balance across the house. It should be that some of us are giving a lot more than others. Now, I believe one of my responsibilities is to give a lot more than many of you and try to do that because of the level of blessing and the gift and the calling and what I believe. But when we get in the area of, oh, I'm probably doing too much. You know, if Danny came in on a Saturday and said, well, I'm playing too much, so I'm not going to play tonight. Or Chris and I and and Joel and Jenny said, well, we preach too much, so just, you know, we're not going to do it tonight. There would be lack... Because we are not fulfilling the call of God and the role that He has given us, right? So we step. Up. So in every area of gift, whatever your gift is, it might be that you're the friendliest person in here, and that your meeting of new people is disproportionate to mine. It's supposed to be. Yes. You have that gift. I am fascinated by Graham Grant. Talk to flipping anybody anywhere about anything, and I'm like. I don't know how you do that Graham, but he does it, why? So disproportionately, I would lean on Graham in an environment where there are new people and different people because of what he is. So what I'm trying to say to you, we can't make this thing a big mosh in the middle and say, oh well, this church relies too much on my preaching or this church relies too much on my music or this church relies too much on my kids' work or my youth work. That's how it's supposed to be so be faithful to the gift that God has given you ok so I don't want to go too long so our objective is equal giving not equal sacrifice and equal obedience so first fruits reason I want to focus on this thing called first fruits in the Bible is because it's giving focused on that which is yet to come right it's not giving for what has happened or giving for what is. It's giving that's focused on that which is yet to come. That's why first fruits was so important. Because you say, well, why are we giving first fruits? We're giving it for that which is yet to come. Well, what is it? I don't know because it's yet to come. But somehow it allows what is yet to come to actually come. Right? It's very powerful, What's fascinating to me is that the Jews, the Israelites, had a feast called fruits. And in the Firstfruits, they would bring, at the beginning of the harvest, the first shoots that came up, the first bit of harvest that came up, when most of the field was empty, they would take those first few grains and they would bring them to the house of God and they'd give them to the priest and he would wave them before God. And they were saying, ha, something's coming... And we are giving in order of what is to come, focused on that which is yet to be. The fascinating thing is Jesus dies on Passover day. He is in the tomb on the Saturday, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which I'll talk about this Wednesday Wednesday after this. And then he rises on the first day of the week. Guess what feast day it was when Jesus rose from the dead? It was first fruits. And as Jesus is rising from the dead, the dear old priest is there in the temple with the sheaf, the first fruit sheaf, waving it before God to celebrate what is to come. And that's why the Bible calls Jesus the first fruits from among the dead. In other words Jesus was saying if you catch this spirit you are giving focused on that which is yet to come okay its root is resurrection its life from the dead so some quick bible verses so you know that I'm a bible verse preaching people proverbs 3 verse 9 which is a common one that people use and can this is a good manipulator one if you want it Another Proverbs 3 verse 9 Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I don't want to press that other than there is a correlation and a connection, so I'm very interested in first fruits. Exodus 23, verse 19. The first of the firstfruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord, where? To the house of the Lord your God. Right? and then you shall not boil a young goat in it's mother's milk. Now, I wanted to read that because I think it's important that you do not boil a young goat in it's mother's milk. And believe me, if I catch any of you (laughs) boiling a young goat in it's mother's milk, there will be hell to pay, seriously. Even you will believe in hell if I catch you boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. I love the way the Bible throws these things in. It's like, don't murder, don't commit adultery, and don't cover your neighbor's donkey as well. It's like that's kind of, you know, we're over in and, on oh, and his donkey as well, like, you know. I, I think it just lightens the atmosphere. Face the first fruits Leviticus 23 verse 9 and the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them when you come into the land something coming which I give you so it's not what you get yourself okay and reap its harvest then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so God's involved in this and it will be accepted on your behalf. So somehow if we do this thing right, there is an acceptance that occurs in our life because I believe our focus has gone on to that which is yet to come. And it says on the day of the, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. We already talked about, um, about how that is. When you come into what I give to you now, all good gifts around us come from the Father of Light's in whom there is no shadow of turning. I don't care whether you believe in God or don't believe in God or which version of God you believe in. All good things come from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. And the warning God gave to Israel was this. When you have succeeded, when you have prospered, when you have gained your wealth, remember who it was That gave you the power to get that wealth. Why? Because the more we succeed, the greater the tendency to forget the beginnings and how we were influenced to get to where we got and somehow feel that God's a partner in this, but I'm pretty special too. Rather than he's pretty special, he very graciously lets this Dumbo partner with him and uses my skills as part of the process. So... I'm nearly finished, is that alright? So I want to really press this because I'm going to ask you to give a first fruits offering but I want to talk about that in a moment, okay? A giving focused on that which is yet to come. I believe that there is lots yet to come. I, I believe the extent of the harvest that we can gather as a house and I don't just necessarily mean bums on seats and how big can we become but our influence and our impact can far exceed anything that we have ever done our field throughout the world can continue to prosper as people are blessed because we are the icebreaker remember has a purpose which is not for itself it's to make a way for others to find a place of blessing sorry I'm pointing the finger I'm getting really so let me say this to all of you because I'm not telling you what you should do Um, I like to tithe I think it's good why do I tithe? because I know what it costs to live here (laughs) I'd like you to think about if you know what it costs to live here and you like living here that you'll take your part in that And see the same miracle of God upon your life. But we'll never press you, we'll never pressure you, we'll never demand you. We don't check any records, which I know some people who do. Imagine that, knowing that your pastor, every Monday morning, checks the giving records to make sure you're tithing. can't. you think of anything more scary? We won't do that. reason we won't do that is this. We've never had enough to do what we needed to do all the time that we've done it. But we've done it anyway and we've made it and God has been faithful. But some of you have been blessed because God has been faithful. So that God in his faithfulness can help us through the blessing that comes on your life. I'm like, hey, if that's how it works, I'm ready, I'm happy. Here I am, Lord. Make me a blessing so I can be a blessing. So that through me, something can flow. So let me say this in, in, in practicality before I tell you my last statement. The poor think their gift will be too small. I just want to encourage all of you, wherever you are, in faith, on this, challenging this, because I, I don't think there's anybody really who's connected to the house. Some of you guess, I love you being here. I'm sorry, I'm preaching about this tonight, but then again, I'm not, because I think it's right. But I don't think there's anybody who thinks, I, I don't want to help, I don't want to be part. But sometimes we've just got to step to another level. Why? Because of what it costs to live here. Not because of what it costs to live somewhere else. What it costs to live here. And the blessing and the potential and all that we can do as we get a focus on that which is yet to come. The poor think their gift will be too small. But the opposite is also true. The rich think their gift will be too large. The problem with that is you could finish up with neither giving what's right and proper. Oh, that's way too much money for these guys to administer. Oh, this is way too little money for anybody to care. Remember the story of the the widow's penny farthing in uh, sounds like she came in on a bike, doesn't it? The widow's penny farthing. It was the smallest coin you could imagine and Jesus said she came into the into the synagogue and and kind of was mocked because of the size, but he said that means more to me than some other now. Um, uh, one of my great examples was, was my dad it was very unassuming except for when he shouted glory and frightened everybody half to death. Um, but one of, the, one of the real things that impressed me when, when my father went on to be with the Lord, whatever that is, wherever that is, I know he's with him and I know it's good and it's fine and I'm, I'm thrilled um, and I was closing down his affairs, I, I was amazed to find how much he gave. Now, in terms of the actual amounts, um, it, it didn't come close to what some others give, including myself. It didn't, didn't, didn't come close. But in terms of his income, almost 40% of his very low income was given because he believed in a purpose. Now you imagine, you know, if that was only 10,000 a year, it might be the equivalent for some of us of a million a year or two million a year or 100,000 or 50,000 or whatever. I was extremely impressed. What touched my heart was nobody had instructed him, but out of love and out of a desire to be involved in that which was yet to come, he had this heart of giving. Now, I understood why my mum and dad were so blessed. They were never big earners big, on a big income with the, you know, but always blessed, always blessed. I was always blessed because of it. And I, I learned what I learned mostly from them and I learned what I learned because of their love. So here's what I want to say to you. Is I, I, it's time for me to shut up. Um, I want to do a first fruits offering. I want to start it from next week and you can either bring something, give something or you can, you can write a pledge on one of the blue envelopes and, and give that in and just put this as a first fruits offering but I'm not going to ask you to make a pledge or an offering tonight now to some that will mean I am a good communicator but a rubbish salesman Because the normal practice is, I'm going to tell you this stuff and you ain't leaving the building <coughs> until I have pressured you to feel incredibly guilty if you haven't written something down, put it in a box, been prayed over, and, and felt I have to commit, and, and, and it has to be something that's so unreasonable that when I walk out the doors, it absolutely terrifies me and I break into cold sweats. So I'm gonna be a rubbish salesman because I'm not trying to sell you this. I'm not here to close a deal. I'm here to invite you to be part of, of a process. That process is the process of first fruits. The process of first fruits is a focus on that which is yet to come. We're not doing it because of what we see. We're doing that because of what we expect to see and what we are going to see in increasing our harvest. And so, here's the rubber, it's the road thing. How much would I like us to do? Well, let me tell you what we need in the next six months, okay? Not 5,000, not 10,000. Not 12,500, not 14,764 pounds and 19 pence. 100,000. Our commitments, our involvement, our giving... Our projects are huge, which is why I'd never come to you to say, This is what it costs to live here, because I don't want to frighten you. But I want to bless you by saying, Isn't it amazing that having never come to you and said, Do you know what it costs for this to happen for 12 months? God has provided all our needs so that we can be a blessing and he will continue to do the same. So, I'm saying to you, that's what we need for the next six months, but I want you just to weigh that in your heart, and next week when we come back, or the week after, for you to say, okay, I feel that I, in my desire to see what is to come, this is what I want to give, or this is what I want to promise. Now remember, size is not the issue. Uh, how much is not the issue heart is simply the issue so nobody feel under pressure nobody feel condemned but everybody feels blessed because I want to tell you all blessing that we have in this house gets shared in the house and everybody will be blessed and nobody will be condemned but we all live and succeed together because God is with us so I want you to have a think because for some of you this is a moment And I felt, if you understand this terminology, and I don't mean this manipulatively, I felt God spoke to me to share this message tonight. So I've shared it. And you can go and forget about it if you want. (laughs) Bad salesman that I am. Or you can catch something of the spirit that we've talked about and said, yep, you know, I really think for this icebreaker that, that, that I like living here. I want us to keep living here. I want us to keep breaking a path for others. And in view of that, here's what I think I'm going to do. Is that okay? Wonderful. So, I'm going to get Danny to come to the piano. It's seven minutes past eight. But I want us to sing the song that I mentioned earlier. You guys can come and help if you want. Um... One of the reasons I want to do this is that Chris and I, totally independently of each other this week, were processing some thoughts. And uh, we both finished up at a point that we shared with each other, which was about worship. And where worship is focused when worship is worship. And this is where it's focused when worship is worship. It's focused on the being non-like him. It's focused on us coming to a place where we recognize that, that there is no shame, no guilt, no demand, no condemnation, but there's none like him. And out of that association and that link is where we begin to focus our hearts because you can't make yourself righteous. You couldn't give enough to be righteous, but it says, you are my righteousness. You are my righteousness. So we're going to sing this a couple of times before we go tonight. And as we worship him, if that worship extends to you thinking, yep, I'm in on this first fruits thing, fabulous. And if it doesn't, we'll love you exactly the same. So come on, I want you to stand with me just, just, just for a moment. If, if you like to, just close your eyes just for a minute. Find that space... Where God is almighty to you. Where he's precious. Find that space. Find that space. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again.